ಶ್ರೀರಾಧಾ ಕೃಷ್ಣಪಾದಾನ್ ಸಹಗನ ಲಲಿತ ಶ್ರೀ ವಿಶಾಖಾನ್ವಿತಮಸ್ಥಾನಂಗನಾಶಾಕಯ ಚಕ್ಷುರುನ್ಮಿಲಿತ ತಸ್ಮೈ ಶ್ರೀಗುರವೇ ನಮಃ ಸಿದ್ಧಾಂತೋತ್ಪಲಸಾರಿತ್ಯಸಿಖಂ ಮಹಂ ಸಂವಿಲಾಸಾತ್ಮಕ ಔರ್ಯಾಕ್ಯಸುಧಾಮಸೇವಕರಣಂಕ್ತಿಪ್ರದಂಯಾಚ್ನಾಯುಕ್ತಿಚಕ್ಷಣೋಂತೋಗವ
we're also members of the family of Bhaktivinotakur. In an even more literal sense, he is our spiritual fathers, 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 father. We are spiritually the descendants of Shla Bhaktivinod Thakur. Here in, in, in the Nordic countries, they say that grandchildren are the desert, desert of life. Children, they are kind of a, a work to bring up that's, that's, a, that's a big, big challenge and a big effort for parents. But then with grandchildren, it's just kind of fun. It's kind of the dessert. You just take care of the grandkids when you want. And they're just fun for you. Whenever they are, are getting uh, much to take care of, you just call uh, the parents and they will pick them up. Something like that. So similarly, from the other perspective, children might think that their parents are sometimes embarrassing or they are too strict or something like that. But the grandparents, they're always fun. And grandparents might think that children might be uh, irritating or they don't do, they don't live up to the expectations they have. But grandchildren are just fun. So whatever the grandchildren do, uh, the grandparents will be happy. Even more so, I mean, I don't have any grandchildren, but I could imagine that if I had grandchildren, I would think like this. And if I would have grandchildren's children, I would be probably even more amazed by how wonderful they are. And if I had grandchildren's children's children, how amazed I would be with them. And this is our relationship to Shilabhakti Nortaku. He is seeing that, oh, over there is this Guido. What a wonderful devotee he is. Over there is Krishna Kumari. What a wonderful devotee. She knows all these mantras and she knows how to do puja. How amazing it is. So we have this connection to this very, very loving and compassionate great, great grandfather who we can remember on days like today. In my previous classes, in these uh, uh, weekly Tattva Viveka classes, I have spoken about the Srimad Bhagavatam. I've spoken about uh, the greatness of the Srimad Bhagavatam. I've spoken about the some some challenges we might have in, in reading the Srimad Bhagavatam and so on. And today I wanted to combine these two topics, the topic of Bhaktivinoda Thakur and the topic of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Because I really feel that as Gaudiya Vaishnava devotees, we should speak more about the Srimad Bhagavatam. This is, after all, our central text, Srimad Bhagavatam Pramanamamalam, Srimad Bhagavata, Srinatha Chakravarti tells us, is the faultless evidence. It's the most important pramana, the most important source of knowledge that we have. So this is a text that we should, all of us, uh, study again and again. 
And it's not difficult to join this text to Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur as a Gaudiya Vaishnava, a Gaudiya Vaishnava uh, of a very special kind. Bhaktivinoda Thakur engaged extensively with the Srimad Bhagavatam from the very beginning of his devotional life to the end. I think Bhaktivinoda Thakur's last published work published just a little while before he, he left this world. Uh, it's a book called Srimad Bhagavata, Bhagavata Arka Marichimala. Uh, uh, a, a garland of rays from the sun of the Srimad Bhagavata. So this is a book where Bhaktivinoda Thakur collected verses and kind of made a garland of these verses. So he, he picked out verses that he thought were particularly important. And this is an interesting text, but it's a text for another day. Today I wanted to focus on a text which is very much from the beginning of Bhaktivinoda Thakur's, uh, we could say, career as a Gaudiya Vaishnava author. The text I will focus on today is called it's, it's popularly called the Bhagavata speech. But uh, Bhaktino Thakur, he called this uh, text, the Bhagavat, its philosophy, its ethics, and its theology. Uh, it's a speech that Bhaktino Thakur gave in 1869 in a place called Dinajpur in Bengal. 1869 is very early in the career of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. He wasn't Bhaktivinoda at this time yet. That was still uh, many years in the future. He hadn't received this title yet. In fact, he hadn't even received initiation. This talk was given 11 years before he received initiation in 1880. So 1869, he's very much still a, a young uh, person, a young seeker of truth. But he has by now come across the Srimad Bhagavatam. In his autobiography, written many years later, he writes, Shlabakti Notakur, about how difficult it was in those days to get hold of the Bhagavatam as a book. The Bhagavatam was something people spoke about, people had an opinion about, but actually reading the book wasn't so easy. So it took him a long time before he managed to procure a copy of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And the reason why he set out to find the Srimad Bhagavatam was that he had read something about Sri Chaitanya Dev. And he had become very uh, attracted by the kind of teachings that Chaitanya was promulgating. And of course, central in Chaitanya's teaching is the Srimad Bhagavatam. So by 1869, Bhakti Nortakur had started studying the Srimad Bhagavatam. 
and it had made a profound change in his life. A profound change in his understanding of religion, of spirituality. So this talk represents his understanding of the Srimad Bhagavatam at this time. As we shall see, it's very much the talk of a young uh, uh, liberal reform-minded uh, Hindu Bhadralok person. Bhadralok means like it's kind of um, upper middle class person who are, are concerned about uh, very different things than people from, from uh, other social classes. A person who has received a Western education and who is trying to somehow make sense of uh, how to view the world. The old models do not hold up anymore. Science, uh, Western philosophy has shown that many of the things that their, their forefathers used to believe in are simply not true. So what to do then with all these old texts and traditions? Bhaktivinoda begins his uh, talk on the, on the Bhagavatam by saying that this is a text that has been very much misunderstood. He says that uh, we as human beings, we love to read something new and learn something new. And this curiosity is something that we should make use of. To look for new books, for look, to look for new insights. But when reading, we have to avoid two types of bad reading or, or unproductive reading. The first, Bhaktivinoda Thakur calls the useless reader. The useless reader is the reader that is not reflexive. He gives uh, the example of, of the moon. The moon is uh, useful because it reflects the light of the sun towards us. A useless reader is a reader who simply reads the book and doesn't think at all. Simply reads it as a parrot, but never passes anything on never reflects anything from the book, neither within herself, nor gives out anything of what she has read to anybody else. So this, Bhaktivinoda Thakur calls a useless reader, a reader who is simply uh, letting the eyes flow over the text, but nothing actually happens. The other kind of a poor reader that Bhaktivinoda speaks about is what he calls the shallow critic. The shallow critic is the person who gets upset with everything. Aha! In this book, when they speak about the spiritual practicant, they always speak about he. This must, must be from a patriarchic society. This is useless. Let's get rid of it. We'll throw away the book. Uh, or any other example. This book speaks about earth being flat. We know that earth is not, is not flat. 
this book is wrong, let's throw it out. Bhakti Nod compares this to uh, a person who is running a race, a race of 10 laps. And after one lap, this person notices that there's something uh, not perfect. So this person starts again from the first. And then he runs two laps. Okay, let's start again. Three laps. Uh, it doesn't work out. I'll start again. So this is the useless critic, the person who is just interested in, in breaking down, in saying, you are wrong. You are wrong, Ananga Manjari. That was a mistake. Never translate again. So this is a useless person who, who just interested in, in breaking down other people or breaking down other people's thought. Bhakti Nautaku says that we should be critics, but we should be true critics. A true critic is a person who is interested in progression, in preserving what is good, and then building on that. Instead of just being interested in finding faults, finding what is good, and then keeping that, and then, if necessary, going on. But interestingly enough, Bhakti Nautakur in his speech, he says that out of these two bad readers, the useless readers and the shallow critics, the Srimad Bhagavatam has suffered most from the useless readers, the non-reflective readers, because they have kept the Srimad Bhagavatam in a form that doesn't work anymore. They haven't... Uh, been up to the task of reinterpreting the Bhagavatam so that it will be useful for new generations. They've simply stuck to an old uh, form that doesn't work anymore. And Bhakti Notakur, he also gives examples of useless critics uh, or, or the shallow critics. He first mentions Ramohan Roy, who was a, a reformer a Hindu, a Bengali Hindu reformer in the early 19th century, who was interested in Vedanta, but who had no room in his thinking for the Bhagavatam. But then he also mentions himself. That's very interesting. He gives himself as an example of a person, a young person who has, had grown up knowing that there is such a, such a thing as the Bhagavatam, but being taught in school that this is an example of the worst kind of Hindu book available, immoral, nonsensic, uh, full of all kinds of old-fashioned ideas, exactly the kind of thing that we have to get rid of. Bhakti Nautakur doesn't uh, explicitly refer or, or say this, but they were thinkers in the middle of the 19th century, Bengali thinkers who, who thought that Krishna is a wonderful and important spiritual teacher. Uh, may, probably not God, but an important spiritual teacher. But the important spiritual teacher is the Krishna of the Bhagavad Gita. The Krishna of the Bhagavatam, that's something completely different. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna speaks 
very nice things about fulfilling your duty and the importance of selfless action and so on. Good teachings. But the Krishna of the Bhagavatam, he's dancing in the forest with other people's wives. He's doing all these crazy and immoral and dangerous things. So Krishna of the Gita, good, good. Krishna of the Bhagavatam, we chuck him away. So Bhaktivinoda, he had also been influenced by these kind of ideas. So he's mentioning himself also as this kind of shallow critic whose understanding of the Srimad Bhagavatam had to be reshaped. He had to unlearn what he thought he knew about the Srimad Bhagavatam. And this he did through Chaitanya Dev. Throughout this Bhagavata speech, Bhakti Nod, he again and again refers to Chaitanya. He calls him uh, the prophet of Nadia, uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, uh, our Chaitanya. So it's clearly a person who he, he knows that his listeners, the listeners to his speech, they know this person. Uh, but he's also trying to, to stress his importance for understanding the Srimad Bhagavatam. And this is very important and very interesting because Prabhupada, he does the same thing when he starts his great project of translating the Srimad Bhagavatam to English. If you read Prabhupada's Bhagavatam, you'll remember that before he gets into the first verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam, he has a very long introduction, which is all about the life of Chaitanya, which at first sight seems like a very strange thing. He's not speaking about the life of the author or the life of the central person in the book. He's speaking about the life of a person who lived literally thousands of years after the book itself. But like Bhakti Thakur, Prabhupada there shows us that the key to understanding the Srimad Bhagavatam comes through the life and precepts of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Uh, what is the Bhagavatam then? Bhakti asks in his talk after having spoken about these things. And he quotes two different verses. The first verse that he quotes is the third verse of the first chapter of the first canto. The Srimad Bhagavatam is the ripened fruit of the tree of the Vedas, made even more sweet by the beak of the parrot Shuka. O oh, connoisseurs of rasa, please drink this nectar of the Bhagavatam until you pass out, pass down, pass out, and then get up and drink more. And then he quotes another verse from the Garuda Purana, um, which says, Sarva Vedetihasanam Saram Saram Samudritam. The Srimad Bhagavatam is the essence of the essence of all the Vedas and Itihasas. 
So Bhakti Note is interestingly pointing out two aspects to the Srimad Bhagavatam. The Srimad Bhagavatam is a book of rasa. It's a book of nectar. But it's also a book of philosophy. It's the essence of all the Vedas and Itihasas. And Bhakti Thakur shows this latter point in this talk by next uh, going into the Chatu Shloki of the Bhagavatam. In the second canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, there's a section of not interestingly enough, four verses, but seven verses that are called the four central verses of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Kind of interesting mathematics. But out of these seven, of course, uh, four are kind of the, 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 the centerpiece. And in these four verses, uh, uh, Brahma hears from Krishna uh, about uh, the world, about himself, and about God. All different Vedanta philosophers, they deal with three different topics. Ishvara, or God, Jiva, individual self, and Jagat, or the world, and how these three relate to each other. And in these four central verses of the Srimad Bhagavatam, in a very, very terse and concentrated way, Krishna speaks to Brahma about these things, how everything comes from him, how everything rests in him, and how everything returns to him at the end. And how everything that is seen as separate from him, or, or the very act of seeing something separate from him, that is Maya. So Bhaktivinoda, he gets into a discussion in this point of the talk uh, about Maya. Maya or illusion uh, in his time was a heavily debated concept. Illusion, of course, Maya is a central term in the philosophy of Shankara, in the philosophy of Advaita Vedanta. But it was also a term that was ridiculed by many Western philosophers of his time. There is in Western philosophy uh, uh, a powerful the uh, trend of philosophy that's called idealism that is usually exemplified by the teaching uh, or the philosophy of, of Bishop Berkeley in England. But in Bhaktivinoda's time, in the 19th century, idealism was very much criticized because it seemed so, so unrealistic. Rather, realism was the predominant philosophy. Whatever we see around us, that is real. We can do mistakes, we do mistakes all the time, but in general, whatever we experience is real. And that's why we can do things. We shouldn't just shut ourselves up in some room and think about philosophy and does the world exist or not? Instead, we should go out in the world and do something useful. This is the time of, of criticism, of idealism, being on the level of, if, you, if somebody says that, I wonder if the world is real, kick that person in the head with the boot and he or she will see whether it is real or not. So a very kind of crude anti-idealist uh, philosophy was prevalent uh, in the West and in Western education in this time. 
So Mayavad, Shankara's idea of, of, of illusion, the world being illusory, was seen as this kind of theoretical, anti, very unpractical, very kind of uh, uh, basically stupid by many Western philosophers of these days. So Bhaktivinoda, when he goes into this discussion of Maya in this talk, he is uh, he's influenced by this kind of thinking. He's saying, uh, yes, the world is real. The world is not simply illusion. But we don't always see it in the real way. And the power to delude us, that power also comes from God. So Maya is not just illusion. Maya is also a power of God. So we can see already here in 1869, just at the beginning of his reading of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhakti Nod has already grasped some of the more uh, finer and more uh, important uh, conceptions of Gaudiya Vaishnava philosophy. What is Maya? How does the Gaudiya Vaishnava understanding of Maya differ from the understanding of Maya in other uh, Indian philosophies? Bhakti Thakur uh, goes on to speak about Sambandha. He makes this tripartite uh, distinct, uh, uh, tripartite explanation of Gaudiya Vaishnava philosophy that Krishnadas Kaviraj brings up uh, so prominently in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. That is, that all of uh, the scriptures speak about three topics: Sambanda, Abhidheya, and Prayojana. Sambanda being about relationship and being about creating uh, a kind of conceptual foundation like our Guru Maharaj likes to say who is God what is the world what is the individual soul and he quotes the Vadanti Tattatpavidas verse Bhaktivinotaku probably you all are familiar with this verse so the third chapter of um, no, I think second chapter of the first canto, 1 to 11 maybe, uh, that the seers of the truth, they have understood the truth to be non-dual consciousness. But this non-dual consciousness can be understood as Brahman, Paramatma, or Bhagavan. Uh, and he then goes on to explain how uh, the Abhidheya, or the path uh, towards uh, God is the path of bhakti. And he already opens up here uh, in a short way, but still he opens up the idea that bhakti can take many different forms, all the way from shanta, or this kind of passive adoration of God, through dasya, sakya, vatsalya, all the way up to madhurya, uh, so again, we can see how Bhaktivinoda Thakur is reading the Srimad Bhagavatam really through the lens of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, in which, again, uh, the ideas and the understandings of Jiva Goswami uh, are so prominently displayed. But then Bhaktivinoda Thakur, in his talk, he goes into another di direction, which is very interesting. In this talk, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, as I say, he is 
still uh, a young man who has just come to the Srimad Bhagavatam with a new understanding and new respect for the text. But he's still incorporating many uh, Western ideas as well. And some of the things that he is saying in this talk are things that he was later going to, to uh, re-evaluate. For example, famously in this talk, Bhakti Thakur says that uh, uh, some parts of the Srimad Bhagavatam are to be taken allegorically. For example, when the Srimad Bhagavatam speaks about the different hells, that's not to be taken literally, that's an allegory. Uh, and some uh, Western readers of Bhakti Thakur, they have made much of, of these kind of statements. But Bhakti Thakur, he does uh, change his opinion sometimes. And in some cases, his understanding uh, went through developments. He's more radical, we could say, mm -hmm. in this early text than he is in his, his later texts. Nevertheless, here he uh, quotes Emerson. Emerson is uh, uh, a famous piece where, where thinkers that reacted against the kind of, 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 of Christian uh, um, orthodoxy of, uh, of the United States of their types and were interested in trying to understand uh, uh, God in, in new ways. They were, in, they were inspired by the Romantic movement inspired by the idea of individualism, by the idea of, of uh, the, the personal conscience, and so on. And some of them were also inspired by Eastern thoughts, most famously Henry David Thoreau, who, who is sometimes called the first uh, North American yogi. Thoreau himself called himself a yogi once, not completely earnestly, but... Uh, with some degree of, of uh, seriousness, Thoreau studied the Bhagavad Gita uh, and was inspired by it. Anyway, this Emerson, he is a famous transcendentalist philosopher. And Bhaktivinoda quotes him uh, in the context of something very interesting, he says. Bhaktivinoda says, matter is the dictionary of spirit. I tried to Google this phrase before this class, and I couldn't find anybody else saying it. So it's apparently something that Bhaktinod comes up with himself. Matter is the dictionary of spirit. What he means by this is that uh, through matter, we can understand something of spirit. And really that it goes in both directions. Spirit can only be understood uh, by an ordinary kind of gross person like me, it can only be understood through material examples. If I hear about Krishna, I need to hear that Krishna is blue, he has yellow clothes, he has two arms, he has a garland around his neck, he's holding a flute, he has a peacock feather in his hair. And when I hear all of these things, I'm thinking of material things. I'm thinking of blue as I have seen blue or, or imagined blue. I'm thinking of a peacock feather. 
uh, as I have seen one. So I'm thinking of material things. But through these material things, I'm getting some kind of an inkling of Krishna. Bhakti Nod gives the example of time and how time can be grasped through uh, a watch or, or, the, the, or a clock. You can get some understanding of time through a clock. Similarly, we can get some kind of understanding of spirit through material words. It's quite interesting that Bhaktinod says this, because this is a teaching which does not really correspond with the teachings of the Goswamis, uh, where the idea rather is that uh, the description of Krishna is not really material, but rather it, it is a spiritual sound that just takes form that looks material. So whether Bhaktivinoda here is uh, uh, still kind of reflecting an, an, uh, uh, an understanding of, of uh, spiritual matters that is, is uh, conditioned by, by his reading of, of Emerson and so on, or if he's simply speaking about it in a way that will be easier to understand for his readers or listeners, this we cannot know, but it's still a very interesting idea. Matter is the dictionary of spirit. And the idea that you can understand something of spirit through matter. If you look at the world, for example, you can, you can understand something about God. Uh, since, of course, the world and God are not totally different from each other, the world being God's energy. After, in this way, speaking about Sambandha and Abhidheya, Bhaktinoda, of course, goes on to speak about prayojana or, or the, the ultimate goal of the Srimad Bhagavatam being that of bhakti or love for God. He says that bhakti is something difficult to, to understand, but uh, uh, devotion, uh, love, these kind of words, they can give us some kind of inkling of what it means. And interestingly, he uh, at this point in his, the talk, he's also kind of tracing a development of bhakti from a tamasic life where you're kind of caught up in sin, caught up in uh, uh, bad actions. And then through rajas, through kind of <clears throat> getting some, some, some energy into yourself, then gradually then evolving into sattva, and then from sattva taking another leap into bhakti. Here again, bhakti node, I think, is influenced by uh, the kind of thinking of his age where, where uh, action was so very important, that you have to do things, because his, his description of bhakti here is very much one of bhakti as kind of uh, enlightened action that you you are you 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 don't just sit you actually do something but you do something good for the world uh, towards the end of his talk now and we're getting towards uh, closer to the end he mentions uh, 
two great errors that we can we can uh, uh, fall into when studying uh, or trying to understand God. He says the first error is to think that God is without attributes, is beyond attributes. This is what in Sanskrit would be called nirvishesha. He doesn't use that term here, but that God is without attributes, that God can't be described. Uh, and this sounds good. God is so big and so wonderful that we cannot describe him with our human uh, words. And in some religions, they do speak like this. But Bhaktinod says that this is, this is a useless philosophy. Because if we can't describe God, if we can't conceptualize or think about God, then what are we to do? Then there's no kind of connection between us and God. It sounds good, but in real life, it doesn't work. If we can't say that God is anything, if you can't say that God is the creator or God is the maintainer or God is love or anything, then God ceases to exist. If you can't even say that God is everything, that's also an attribute, then we can just as well say that God doesn't exist, doesn't make any practical difference. So that's one of the two great errors in speaking about God. God is without attributes. The other uh, error Bhaktinod says here is to say that God is simply attributes. That God is uh, love. God is consciousness. God is uh, um, eternity and so on. And this is also a mistake because then God simply becomes these separate attributes, like a hodgepodge of different ideas. So he says the way to reconcile this is to think of God as a superhuman personality that has attributes. Not that he's without attributes, not that he is attributes, but that he has attributes. Were you able to follow Aranga Manjari? I can't hear you, but I hope you were. Uh, so God is not without attributes. He isn't attributes, but he has attributes. He's a person who has attributes. Uh, now, from this kind of high theological or philosophical uh, um, point of view, Bhaktivinoda comes down to kind of the practical reality. Pretending to be uh, a philosophical opponent, he's saying, all of this sounds good, but you're saying that this Bhagavata is such a great book, it's speaking about all of these things. If it's such a great book, how come the people who say that they like this book are so useless? We have all these Vairagis, 
these renunciates who set up an ashram and then they live in that ashram, this great renunciate man with uh, eight uh, uh, sevadasis, servant uh, ladies, and they study the Srimad Bhagavatam together. And uh, whenever necessary, the ladies go out for an abortion. And uh, it's these kind of immoral, useless people who study the Srimad Bhagavatam. How can it be such a great book if it leads to these kind of results? Bhakti Nataku, he says, you can't judge uh, a book by, by, uh, by uh, the, the kind of followers that it has. Uh, all good and great ideas will always be perverted by humans. You'll always find uh, people who take something beautiful and make it into something dirty. But don't be the shallow critic again. Don't think that because uh, not everybody understood it, nobody can understand it. Srimad Bhagavatam, he stresses several times in the talk, is a difficult text. Uh, it's written in Sanskrit which in Bhaktivinoda's time, uh, educated people could understand in Bengal, but only to some uh, uh, particular level. Srimad Bhagavatam is written in very difficult Sanskrit. Even a person who is otherwise conversant in, in Sanskrit will not be able to understand everything in the Srimad Bhagavatam. So Bhaktivinoda, he stresses many times, we have to read the Srimad Bhagavatam with the commentary of Sridhar. Sridhar Swami. It's interesting that he's, he's referring to Sridhar Swami several times. Again, I think it's reflecting his understanding of the Srimad Bhagavatam as mediated by the Chaitanya Charitamrita, where Mahaprabhu, of course, many times speaks about the importance of studying the Srimad Bhagavatam with the commentary of Sridhar Swami. But probably it also reflects Bhaktinoda's own experience. The Bhagavatam that he had finally been able to catch hold of was Bhagavatam with the commentary of Sridhar Swam. It's by far the most common commentary in, in manuscripts of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And even our other commentaries, such as the commentary of uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti and so on, which we might imagine that Bhaktinod would speak more about, uh, is based on the commentary of Sridhar Swam. Of Sridhar Swam. So he's saying the Srimad Bhagavatam is a difficult book. You won't be able to understand it just on its own. You need the commentary of Sridhar Swami. And then you'll also be able to kind of avoid these kind of pitfalls that some people fall into who take the Srimad Bhagavatam to somehow give license to their immoral conduct. Finally, at the end of the talk, very interestingly, Bhakti Thakur says that Apart from all of these other things I said so far, the Srimad Bhagavatam uh, contains two important principles. The first of these principles is the principle of liberty. He says that the Srimad Bhagavatam 
is a book that teaches us the importance of, liber uh, of uh, liberty in spiritual life. And he says, he, he mentions the story of Vyasadeva. Vyasadeva having written all of these books, the Mahabharata, the Puranas, having divided up the Vedas into four, but still feeling unsatisfied. So Narada came to him and said, you have to write a new book. Write the Srimad Bhagavatam. So he gave him the liberty to let go of these previous texts and go forward. Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, similarly, the spiritual seeker, and he uses one of my favorite words, he uses the word saragrahi to describe the spiritual seeker, the person who goes for the essence, <coughs> not the shallow critic who, who throws away everything uh, because of, of some, some fault, but who goes for the essence. This is my hope as well. I'm hoping that uh, a saragrahi will see the essence in me and not throw me away because of my faults. So uh, he's saying one of the main principles of the Srimad Bhagavatam is the principle of uh, liberty in spiritual life. Don't get trammeled. Don't get caught down by uh, old forms that maybe worked in a previous time. Vyasadeva had to let go of the Mahabharata and write something new, the Srimad Bhagavatam. And he says, similarly, we also have to be, uh, have to try to continue on, try to, to progress in spiritual life. And this is the second important principle here, the principle of progress. Bhaktinur Thakur, he sees spiritual life here, uh, especially now here in the beginning of his, his career as a Gaudiya Vaishnava, as a, as a part of continuous progress. You first learn that God exists. Then you learn that he's a person. Then you learn that uh, you can love God in many different ways. And you progress step by step on the path. Throughout this, I think, very fascinating speech, Bhakti Nod is such an optimist you can really feel this young man's enthusiasm. We're going forward. We're leaving the past behind. We're finding something beautiful, something new. And we should always have this feeling that I have advanced. And I think this is something that we can take also from this speech. To think that I, every day I need to make some spiritual advancement. This principle of progress. Not being satisfied with just doing everything as we always did it, but learning new things, reading the same books, but in new ways, learning them in new ways, doing the same puja of the same Krishna, but understanding the puja in new ways, deepening it, making it more heartfelt every day. And from these two principles of uh, liberty and progress, Bhaktivinoda finally, in his concluding his talk, he also combines these two into what we could call liberality, quoting this avatara yasankhyeya, verse of the third chapter of the first canto. Bhaktivinoda says that according to the Bhagavatam, 
the avataras or the descents of the Lord are innumerable. And the Vaishnava is taught in the Srimad Bhagavatam to view persons such as Narada uh, as Shaktiavesha avataras of the Lord. Similarly, the Vaishnava can view persons such as Jesus as Shaktiavesha avataras of the Lord. So the Vaishnava has this kind of broad understanding of spirituality. All of these different spiritual teachers and persons, I see them as uh, avataras or empowered uh, uh, beings empowered by my Lord. So he's saying, the Srimad Bhagavatam teaches a universal religion, a religion that can embrace everybody. So I wanted to, to go through this talk of, of Bhakti Nathakurs on the Bhagavatam uh, on this day. Uh, I didn't just want to read it, but to, to try to summarize it in my own words. But of course, I encourage all of you to take the opportunity to read it when you have the time. You can just Google it and you'll find it online. It's a, it's a wonderful speech. It reflects... I think in a beautiful way, the kind of spiritual milieu Bhakti Nautakur was in when he wrote this, but it also reflects some of the very unique and very, very sweet heart of Bhakti Nautakur's. His love for the Srimad Bhagavatam, his love for Krishna already in this time, it's, it's so imaginable, unimaginable, it's 11 years before he got initiation. What did we speak about the Srimad Bhagavatam 11 years before we got initiation. This is really a measure of Bhakti Nod's greatness. So uh, um, again, I want to offer my humble obeisances to Bhakti Nod Thakur on this divine appearance day of his. Any questions or comments? Arivol. Arivol. Pranam and thank you. Um, this is a kind of a vague comment because I don't remember exactly, but uh, regarding the, like, like about reflecting uh, on, on what you hear from the Bhagavatam. I remember reading in Bhakti Pramod Purimaraja's The Art of Sadhana, there was some Shastric like story about like Bhagavatam recitations and what's what happens to the speaker after the recitation and what happened what happens to the listeners who don't reflect and what happens to those who do reflect but um that's all I re remember from it but yeah <laughs> <Just a laughs> yeah thank you uh Jeepa Goswami he quotes a verse like this in Bhakti Sandarbha mm. this is not just me being this Shastra Nipun, I remember every verse, but I actually read it yesterday, so that's why I remember it. Uh, uh, it's in, uh, it, it says that a person who, who teaches without reflection and who listens without reflection, both of them will go to a terrible hell. 
So it's a, it's a heavy heavy verse. And Jiva Goswami he he makes the point there that uh, uh, he's speaking about bhakti, the, the kind of bhakti which is uh, not motivated by ruchi or taste, but by vichara or reflection. Uh, but nevertheless, even though he is speaking about a particular kind of bhakti there, he is making the point that this is very important, this kind of, of reflection. Because, of course, we are, uh, as human beings, we are a composite of different uh, parts. We have our bodies, and we need to use the bodies in, in service of Krishna. Uh, we can use the whole body in service of Krishna. We are also to use the mind in service of Krishna, learning to like Krishna, learning to dislike things that are not connected with Krishna. But we are also to use the, the intellect, the buddhi in Krishna's service. And some of us have very poor bodies, some have poor minds, some have poor intellects, but we all have these things. If we, Even if we can't cook so nicely like uh, Sakyarati, for example, we still can do something for Krishna. And we maybe we're not so brilliant like Shamananda, but we do have some brilliance, and this brilliance we can use for Krishna's service. So reflection, that's important. For some people, Diva Goswami makes, uh, is, is writing, it's more important, that's kind of their life. Their life is thinking, sitting and thinking, hmm, I wonder how this is. Could this be seen in that way? Hmm. Uh, they will be inspired by this. But even if we're not a person like that, we will have some amount of, the, of this kind of reflexive capacity. And we are to use that both when speaking and when listening. Thank you for bringing up that verse, Shamananda. There was something in the chat here uh, by Chris. Which is the book or the conversation of Bhakti Vinod? Uh, this this uh, 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 talk that I was speaking about. Uh, it's a, it's a talk called the Bhagavat. It's philosophy, it's ethics, and it's theology. And that that is uh, a speech that Bhakti Vinod gave, and then wrote wrote into a kind of a booklet afterwards. So that was what I was speaking about. Anything else? If not, dear devotees, it is my, my pleasure and my honor to, to have been given the opportunity to speak on this important day, the Advent Day of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. I hope that uh, in speaking in this way, I have not given offense to anybody and that I have been able to glorify the great Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Thank you all for listening. I hope to see you soon again. Jai Bhakti no Thakur ki jai. Gaur Bhakti Rinde ki jai. Gaur Premanande Hari Hari Bo. Sriman Rigupad Prabhu ki jai. jai.
Haribo.